Welcome, everybody, back to an episode of A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess, Father Paul. Uh, Today is a very special episode uh, because it's live, but not only just because it's live, but I have a very, very special guest, but not only just because of that, but today is actually Good Friday, and I could think of no one better than to interview about the topic that we're going to talk about, making sense out of suffering, making sense out of death. Then with Dr. Peter Kreeft. With Dr. Peter, am I saying Kreeft right, Doc? That's uh, okay. That's the American way. Kreeft is the Dutch way. Kreeft, Kreeft. Are you Dutch? Uh, all four grandparents were born in Holland, yep. I'm also Dutch. I am. I'm a quarter Dutch. I am really? a quarter Dutch. Yeah. A quarter- no, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, of, of the gifts of my Dutch people to the world, such as pea soup. Uh, but they also invented apartheid in South Africa and, uh, uh, well, uh, Amsterdam is, of course, the, uh, the city of great holiness, uh, as everybody knows, uh, and uh, <laughs> you know, euthanasia and all of that. I think there's maybe one or two people who still go to confession in the Netherlands. Oh, my goodness gracious. I'm going to go have to try to visit my ancestors there and maybe I could get a couple confession- confessions heard. Over there, but I want to welcome you, Dr. Peter Kreeft, uh, to a holy mess. This truly, as I said, this is a holy mess. It's not a very professional show. Doing the fact, uh, uh, I'm not his holiness. I'm his holy mess, truly. And um, you're, you're known for many things. You're a philosopher. You've written, I believe, over 100 books. Is that correct? Yeah, I've lost count, but I think it's over 100 now, yeah. Okay, well, known, internationally known, and and uh, it's an absolute honor to have you here. I had the pleasure of having you come to, of you coming to my last parish, St. Paul's and Ramsey, literally right before the world shut down, right before. Yep. Uh, you came uh, to St. Paul's and Ramsey, gave a, a lecture, a beautiful lecture, a nice Q&A, and uh, stayed over um, uh, stayed over the night, and I was blessed to have a conversation with you um, late into the night because something you said in your talk or in one of the Q&A sessions triggered something within me about a question about my brother who had died, which really goes well with this topic because, as you know, my brother died suddenly at the age of 32, back in 2017, the, the 100th anniversary of Our Lady of Fatima, 32 years old, dead, tragic, surprise. Today's Good Friday, uh, when the greatest evil and the greatest suffering has ever existed, the, the, the death of God incarnate. And so many people have questions. The number one obstacle to, to, to the faith, uh, I believe Aquinas said, is the, 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 stumbling, the, the suffering of the innocent the suffering of the innocent. So I asked you if you would come on here, if we could please talk about that. So that's the end of my intro. And uh, thank you for being on here. You're very welcome. Uh, And I'm not going to give you any brilliant scholarly answer, Uh, give you a commonsensical answer, which has been around uh, for 2000 years. So I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know, but just remind you of something that if you're a Catholic, you already do know. 
Amen. Well, then uh, I think that, I'll, you know, and I know you've been teaching at, at Boston College, uh, I think you said since, uh, what, what, what age is that? The Jurassic Age? The I Jurassic think there were dinosaurs wandering around that backyard but, then. <laughs> All right, well, we'll just start off. We'll get right to it. I mean, it's Good Friday, and a lot of people want to know, you know, if God is so powerful, if God is so loving, if, if he could do all things, then why do people suffer, especially the innocent? You know, so why do you think that Aquinas said that? And correct me if I'm wrong, Aquinas didn't say that, but I believe that he said that the biggest obstacle yeah. to faith is the suffering of the innocent. Why would he make such a claim like that? Well, because it's the most popular argument for atheism, and it's the strongest. In fact, when he's uh, trying to prove the existence of God at the beginning of his Summa, uh, he has five arguments for the existence of God, and he has at least a dozen others scattered throughout his works, but he can find only two objections to the existence of God. Uh, one of them is the apparent adequacy of the natural sciences to explain everything without God, and the five ways show that that's uh, not a good objection at all. It simply isn't true, but the strongest argument against God is if there were a God of infinite goodness, why would there be any evil at all? And his answer, quoting Augustine, is uh, that God is infinitely good and also infinitely wise, and he perceives that if he allowed evil into the world, he could bring an even greater good out of it. And that's what happened on Good Friday. The greatest evil in the history of the world resulted in our salvation, our hope of heaven, which is the greatest good. And if he can do it in that enormously big example, he can do it in all our little examples, all examples of suffering in our lives. Why do we suffer? Well, because God sees that his love can be satisfied and our joy can be magnified by our suffering. He would not allow it otherwise. He loves us. Love, does ne love never directly wills the suffering of the beloved, but it sometimes allows it and tolerates it. Uh, when our kids are having uh, struggles with their academic work, we don't do their homework for them. We don't give them the answers. We don't ensure that they get an A in the test. We give them help, but we allow them to freely make mistakes and learn from their mistakes. And when we're adults, we're, we're, we're grateful for what our parents did for us. But when we're kids, we don't understand that. Daddy, why don't you solve all my problems for me? Why don't you make my life easier for me? Why do you make things hard? And the answer is because I love you. Love has to be free. Uh, love wants to be loved in response. Love, love seeks love. But God freely loves us all the time and perfectly. And we sometimes freely love him back and sometimes don't. But he could compel us to be good. He could, he could have stopped all evil simply by putting up a sign in the Garden of Eden, no snake in the grass, no devil allowed, no temptation, no forbidden fruit. And we'd still be in the Garden of Eden. There'd be no evil, no suffering. We'd be smiling uh, and, and, and doing nothing. And there'd be no human history and no drama. And God saw that the mess that we have, that is human history, an amazing mess of both love and hate mixed, freely chosen good and freely chosen evil, is better than Eden. I mean that that's powerful. That so something so suffering 
and and the joy that can come from it and the love that can come from it is better than paradise. That's what you're saying, or at least That's earthly right. paradise. Yeah. Uh, and I think we all know from our experience, think of, think of the experience of the deepest suffering you ever had. Did it bring you closer to God? 100%. Of course it did. And what's the secret of joy? Closeness to God. God is the source of all joy. So the suffering that we had in the past that seemed to separate us from God, like Jesus, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me on the cross? At that moment, he was the closest his father. He had no external helps. He had no no comfort from his feelings. Uh, the the things that he couldn't control, namely our, his feelings, were out of control. He felt his father had abandoned him, and yet his will held fast. His faith held fast. Faith, like love, is not a feeling. Faith is a choice. It's free. And it's strengthened by exercise, by doubt. But uh, did, did Jesus... when we're when we're in when when we're in a, a comfortable boat, we notice that there's a uh, a life jacket around, and that's fine, and we're comfortable. And then the boat tips, and we're in the water, and we're drowning, and somebody throws us a life jacket. At that point, we really appreciate the life jacket. So, God wants to be loved for His own sake, but we're we're not spiritual adults yet. We're spiritual children. So we have to learn elementary lessons to, uh, to love him when he's the only hope. In heaven, uh, we will see him so clearly that it will be impossible to even be tempted. We'll, we'll be over our training period. But this is our training period. We have mixed motives. Some are selfish, some are unselfish. We love God for his own sake, but also we love him for our sake. And he uses that imperfection of ours, that natural selfishness. We, we, we absolutely need him. And we, we feel that need when we suffer. Well, he, he uses even that imperfection to bring us closer to perfection. And he sees what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. We don't. That's, that's the point of the book of Job. You know, there's the all-time classic uh, about suffering. Job is the best man in the world. God himself calls Job a saint. Why, why do the saints suffer? Why do the good suffer? Well, for a greater good, either for themselves or for somebody else. If a saint is somebody who loves other people more than ordinary people do, then the saint would be perfectly satisfied with the answer uh, to his question, God, why do you make me so suffer so much? Uh, this answer, uh, for the sake of other people. You are somehow in a true but mysterious way participating in the sufferings of christ and christ suffered for everybody not just for one person so your sufferings can multiply merit multiply uh power multiply god's ability to get into other people's hearts and lives somehow so we we suffer for each other as well as for ourselves it's very interesting because, and I obviously I, I believe in what you're saying, but you know, all this stuff can come from it, right? All these beautiful things, the the collateral beauty, if you will. But God never intended; He didn't will, at least not actively. He didn't will death. He didn't w will sin. He didn't will no. death. That it's no. not His fault, right? So, can right. we can we speculate that God did not? 
in, intend for any suffering, any sin? Like, because that was, I mean, obviously he, he knew it, right? But he didn't cause it. So all this stuff, this beautiful stuff is coming from suffering if we let him, if, if we allow him to let something beautiful happen from it, if we're open to it. But some might say, but, but he didn't intend it in the first place. What would you say to that? God is pure love, perfect love, infinite love. Love always seeks the greatest joy of the beloved. So God wants our joy. He's very, very simple-minded. Now, if we can attain greater joy through suffering, then God permits suffering, even though he doesn't want us to suffer, for the sake of greater joy. Think of a great drama. Think of a, a, a novel or a movie that you deeply identify with and the hero or heroine is suffering horribly. Uh, and you feel for, for, for that person and you sort of vicariously suffer too. And then they're delivered from it in the end. And the triumph at the end is so great that uh, you say, that is one of the greatest stories I have ever heard. And you're more deeply happy at the end than you could possibly be if the protagonist wasn't suffering. So that's just a concrete example of, of, of what Aquinas means when he says that God, who is pure love, would not allow any uh, suffering unless he could somehow bring out of it a greater joy. And we see little examples of that in our lives. The example I just gave a moment ago, greatest suffering in your life, did it bring you closer to God? Yes. And did that give you a deep joy? Yes. Well, multiply that. Uh, that that's, that's the reason God allows the good to suffer, because of his love. Another way of putting it, we, we have to suffer God. We have to, we have to receive God. We have to uh, conform to God. We have to be changed into the likeness of God. We're not God-like enough, right? So that reception of that new heart that new self, that, that supernatural self, that divine life, that supernatural life, uh, that, that's like an operation. It's like heart surgery. And in order to do that, God has to, has to break our, 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 our other heart. He has to break through the bones to get in there. That's why we die, because we're, we're really stupid. We're not God. Uh, so if, if death is like an anesthetic, it puts us to sleep so that we don't hop around on the operating table telling the surgeon what to do. So death is, is God getting into our deepest heart and, and finally completing the job. Uh, I, I love it, the fact that the saints who talk about purgatory say, yes, it's very painful, but we want it. It's a willed pain. When you're in purgatory, it's not like earthly pain. In one sense, it's greater than earthly pain because you see all the horror of your sins. But in another sense, it's very different than earthly pain because you understand it. You understand that this is bringing you closer to God. You're like a, a, a snake stripping off the old, dirty snakeskin uh, so that the beautiful, new, God-made snakeskin can, can, can dominate. I, 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 I agree with you 100%. If it wasn't for severe suffering in my life, I wouldn't even, and this is before my brother passed or anything, if it wasn't for severe suffering, I wouldn't have come back to the church. I, wouldn't be, I would not be a Catholic priest today. I wouldn't. 
I wouldn't. So that's true. Uh, 100%. It's true. And yet I can't help but wonder with all these things that I'm relating to that you're saying about appreciation, about growth, about love and joy that comes from it, isn't it interesting that where eternal love, eternal bliss, eternal joy is heaven, there's no suffering at all. So I, I wonder, you we know. Don't we're mature. Here we're stupid little kids. Here we're sinners. All the saints say they're great sinners. They're still far from God. Wow. But, okay, so some people, you know, I know they want me to ask, but what about, like, real intense, like the, the, the sudden death of a, of a two-year-old, of a three-year-old? Yeah, yeah. Why would he permit that? Why, 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 why do things like that happen? You know, that His answer to that question in the book of Job is, hush, child, you couldn't possibly understand. You're not God. We don't know. We don't have an answer to that question. We know what God's motives are. We don't know the spiritual technology. We don't know the, the plot of the drama that we're in. We're only in, let's say, act two or act three of the play. We're not in act five yet. So all we can do is trust him. If we didn't need faith, if it was provable by reason, if, if science and mathematics had proved the answer to the problem of evil, uh, we'd be as wise as God. We're not. We have to trust him. We're little kids. He's our father. He knows much, much more than we do. And so it's, it's a totally free choice. We either trust him or we don't. Before you and I met, um, I had taken some time off uh, after my brother passed to, uh, to really deal with the trauma. And um, my therapist, he uh, asked me for my, my I wear a, a golden chain with a crucifix on it. And he asked me to take it off and to give it to him. And I did. And he put it on a chair across from me. And he said, okay. He said, this is Jesus in this chair. And I want you now, I want you to tell him everything that you think about your brother's death. I want you to, to every emotion, every thought, every question. And he gave me permission. And I, and I did. And I, and I, and I was, I, I let him have it. Crying, sweat, you know, all that stuff. And after, I don't know, maybe about 45 minutes, an hour, of everything, I ended up totally on my knees without any prompting from my therapist. I, I went, I ended up completely on my knees in total surrender and in peace saying, mm -hmm. Lord, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I went through all of that and I ended up on my knees just saying, like, it was weird. It was like, he gave me peace in the fact that like, you love him more than me, and I, I just don't know, and I, and I, I give this to you because I, I, I was holding on to it, you know? You're powerful. I remember looking at the... Um, yeah, yeah. I remember looking at the ocean about two weeks after my brother died. We went down the shore to, to get away um, uh, two weeks after the funeral, and I was on the beach in New Jersey, and I, I'm looking at the ocean, and I'm like, God, you could do all of... You could create all of this and... You couldn't prevent my brother's death, you know? And yet, the fact of the matter is that, like, 
I didn't know. I don't know. I never will. And if I try to figure it out, I'm, I'm going to lose my mind. And, and I have to say that one of the most... When Lazarus died. Go ahead. Go ahead. So... What, what you said to God was exactly what Mary and Martha said to Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus deliberately stayed away and let Lazarus die so that a greater good and a greater glory could happen, his resurrection. Oh, I point, I, I said, this is you, this is you. And I thought I was over it. I thought I had peace. And when you came to our parish a couple of years ago, I forget what it was that you said, but I was really still struggling with it. And I remember, if I may, um, one of the most powerful experiences that, that I've had in my life, and really since then, you said, we were talking about my brother's passing, and you said, okay, let's just do a little bit of role play. You play Job, and I'll play God, and, and give me your questions and your thoughts. And you didn't create anything. You just said what God said to Job, but you said things to me like, did I not love your brother more than you ever possibly can? I said, yes. Do I not care for your brother more than you ever possibly could care for him? Yes. You know, like all these questions like this. And again, it led me to at first being upset to ending the night in, in, in total peace. Because you're right, Job, God didn't tell Job why, he, why all that stuff happened. God did not give him a reason. He just said, I'm God and you're not. <laughs> exactly. Like he said to St. Catherine in the shortest sermon ever, only two things you have to know. Number one, I'm God. Number two, you're not. Yeah. That's so comforting. How awful it would be to be God. Ever see the movie Bruce Almighty with Jim Carrey? Absolutely. He gets to be God for a day? Yeah. It's, <laughs> that's the worst thing that could possibly happen to us. <laughs> yeah, he's a, what a bunch of complainers. <laughs> What you know, of- you just you just said in your last uh, thingy uh, why the Psalms are so powerful and why Jews and Christians have always used the Psalms as their favorite prayers because the Psalms lets it all hang out. The mess, uh, the horror, the, the the ignorance, the the rebellion, and the peace, and the joy, and the glory—it's all there. Every every human emotion, every human relationship to God is, is somewhere in the Psalms. So it's okay. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to give God, to tell God exactly what we're thinking. If you, cause I think some people are afraid to. Yes. Yes. Because he knows everything anyway. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 139, which begins, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down, you know, when I fall, you know, my, my darkness, my light, uh, that has to become our joy, our, our comfort, that God knows everything about us, including our sins, our faults, our dark sides, the, uh, the mess inside that we ourselves don't understand. The fact that he knows that perfectly, totally, that that is total light to him, that what, to dark, what is darkness to us is light to him. Great atheist, their greatest terror, both Sartre and Nietzsche, probably the two greatest atheists in the history of philosophy, have said the fundamental reason they can't believe in God is that God, if he exists, knows everything about them. Everything. They can't hide. And that would be torture to them. And it, the, the very same thing that is bliss to those in heaven 
is terror to those in hell, namely God's omniscience, God's total knowledge. They're in the light. Bugs don't want to be in the light. They prefer the dark. So we've got to learn to love the light. We've got to learn absolute and total honesty. There's only two absolutely, absolute absolutes, love and truth. We've got to learn never to compromise either, to give our, to give our total self away and, and, and to love the truth no matter how much it hurts. Okay, so I, I have to ask this question on behalf of others as well. Um, yeah. And I know, and I'm realizing as I'm asking all these questions, every single answer can to the to any question I ask can be, well, he's God and and we're not. <laughs> so I, I I realize that, that that I'm like, wow, this could be like a very very short interview. <clears throat> yes. a four word sermon yeah this is you know, this would be the shortest podcast ever you know <laughs> to any question he's god or we're not which is true um but it is also true that sometimes there are miracles and sometimes there are healings and sometimes people yeah. are saved and sometimes others are not sometimes people are cured of cancer sometimes they're not sometimes Hardcore drug addicts get clean and turn their life around and others die. And it seems yep. that some that God directly intervenes and sometimes yep. he doesn't. Is there anything, does Aquinas, yep. do, 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 do you, any, any of the saints say anything particular about, about this thing? You know, where some parents could be so bitter, their child wasn't saved. And meanwhile, this other family that they know, you know, that brain tumor went away. What could be said to that? Well, two things. First of all, from the bottom up, and secondly, from the top down. From the bottom up, we start with that experience and we're puzzled. Why does this child die and not that one? Why aren't our sufferings proportionate to our, our, our merits? Uh, why doesn't God deal differently with the good and with the evil? Two people are walking down the street. One's a great saint, one's a great sinner. A bomb explodes, one dies. Which is it going to be? 50-50. We don't know. Sometimes it's the good, sometimes it's the evil. We don't know. We're not God. There's no way up from our experience to uh, uh, prove that God is good. But there's a way down. If you believe that God is good, then you can believe that God knows everything. And the reason he gives death to your brother at 32 and not to you and the reason some good people have easy lives and some good people have hard lives and some bad people have easy lives and some bad people have hard lives is that god knows everything and he knows what each person can take and can stand and he knows what's best for them and he always gives you exactly what's best romans 8 28 all things work together for good if you love god all things even evil things obviously all things aren't good some things are horribly evil. Uh, God even allows us to sin when he could give us the grace to stop it. Why? For our own good. Maybe maybe if we, if we stopped some sin like uh, uh, addiction or alcoholism, uh, we'd fall into pride and, and self-satisfaction. Uh, sometimes a doctor will tolerate a lesser disease in order to cure a greater disease. And God's the perfect doctor. He's got to know exactly what he's doing and exactly what's best for everybody. We don't. He does. So this is just a long-winded way of saying what you just said before. He's God. 
Yeah, true, true. But then, okay, so then what made you uh, write your uh, very beautiful, uh, popular book, uh, Making Sense Out of Suffering? What, what caused, I mean, because you could have on the next page after whoever you thanked said, I'm God, you're not, and then, you know, just said, thank you, and it could have been the shortest book ever. What, but it's, it's not, you, you, you talk about a lot of great arguments and not just the Christian's perspective. Um, can you talk about that book a little bit? Um, if you don't mind, what caused you to write it? And, um, what were some of your conclusions? Well, the publisher caused me to write it. Uh, they said, um, write a book about the problem of evil. Uh, you're a philosopher. I said, um, well, I write the books that I wish somebody else would write, but I don't. So in order to read them, I have to write them first. But I'm not <laughs> going to write this one because the best book I've ever read about the problem of evil is by C.S. Lewis called The Problem of Pain. Mm. And that's a difficult book because evil is a difficult problem. But the more you read it, the more clear it becomes. It's a masterpiece. I said, I can't write a book nearly that good. So they said, okay. And then a couple of weeks later, they said, uh, I have another proposal for you. You can't write a great book about the problem of evil. C.S. Lewis did that already. Can you write a crummy little book about the problem of evil? Maybe <laughs> a second-rate book? Because some people can't read C.S. Lewis anymore. Uh, can you write one for beginners? Something really simple. I said, well, I'll try. So that's why Making Sense Out of Suffering appeared. And um, <clears throat> where can people find a copy of that? Oh, I don't know. Uh I don't know much about uh, business transactions, but did you uh, find that it has every book? In I mean, all, all your books are very popular, but did you find because of the topic that that one maybe, you know, you had more requests for talks or more copies because of the very topic, because it's so universal? Of course, of course. And I get a lot of uh, personal letters from people uh, who said the book helped them, especially the chapter called uh, Jesus, the Tears of God. Uh, God's revelation of himself, of what he thinks about our suffering, is in the shortest verse in the Bible. When Jesus' dear friend Lazarus died, uh, and Jesus is the face of God, Jesus manifests the nature of God uh, completely. There's no, nothing more that you could possibly add to that. What did he do? He wept. Jesus wept. That's, that's God's answer to... Uh, it, it's not God's solution to our brain. It's, it's, it's what God thinks and feels about our pain he weeps with us mm. love love suffers more than anything else the only way you can avoid all suffering is don't give your heart away to anything anybody not even a pet because it's going to die yeah it's going to let you down it's going to break your heart so the only way the only way to avoid breaking your heart is not to love anything and that's hell that's what hell is the total absence of love. Wow. So everything would be different then if God did not himself take on human suffering and even experience death. Is that correct? Like we couldn't even have these conversations if God himself did not take on human flesh, take on the sins of the world. And, and on this very day, the anniversary of this very day, 2,000 plus years ago, died himself. Uh, yeah. Because then maybe... The ultimate, reason, the ultimate reason or motive for our accepting suffering has nothing to do with 
stoicism or uh, masochism or uh, heroism. Uh, it's simply the faith that Jesus, in entering into our suffering, allowed our suffering to enter into himself. He didn't come to take away our suffering, but to transform its meaning. It is now redemptive. Mm. It is now something that is part of him. He still has his wounds in heaven. Yeah, what's up with that? And they're, they're badges of glory now. Yeah, I, I just watched The Passion of the Christ. Uh, I started it last night and I watched it this morning. And it always gets me that the resurrected Christ, the resurrected Christ still has his wounds. Why? Yeah. And some of these questions I'm asking just to let you know, um, because I, I, you know, the five listeners that I do have, uh, some of them, um, I'm kidding, of course, but I, I'm grateful to have listeners that they admit to me that they like the podcast, but they don't, they don't really go to church or they're not a practicing Christian. Mm-hmm. So some of these questions I'm also asking, knowing that, um, so what, why, why, why is that? Why glory, eternal glory, and yet there's wounds? Why? Because Christ transformed the meaning of suffering. Love does that. You look at him on the cross and you realize that he did this out of love for us. And now he's saying, well, what's your response? And our response is, I want to be where you are, even if it's a cross. I don't want the cross. Jesus didn't want the cross. He asked his father, uh, please, there's some other way to do this. Don't, don't put me through this horror. He was totally human, like us. Was he, he was actually stoic? Real? He was not a hero. He, he said, Father, if it be possible, take this cup fa- from me, but thy will be done. That's the ultimate prayer. Mm. That's the last, the last defense or the last offense or the last absolute. Uh, God must know better than we. And therefore, his will is our absolute, no matter what. So Jesus, do we think... Now, if you don't believe, if you don't believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, if you think he's just a, a, a misled uh, uh, fanatic, uh, it doesn't work. That's why, that's why doctrine is important, too. The, the fundamental Christian dogma, the distinctively Christian dogma, that Jesus is not just a human person, but a divine person, that he's God incarnate, that transforms the meaning of suffering. Because there's been plenty of great saints and martyrs in history on a merely human level, and you can still look up to them and admire them. Uh, But it's not going to fundamentally change you. But he does. He's he's our creator. And he knows absolutely everything about our heart. And somehow, in a way that I don't fully understand, maybe some of the saints and mystics do, I don't know, somehow he puts himself into us, and he puts us into himself as, as members of his body. Not, not just members like an organization, but organs. We're, we're, we're Christ's body parts so that his suffering becomes ours and ours becomes part of his somehow. That's, that's pretty clear from the New Testament. How, how that works, I don't know. I don't even know how human technology works. I certainly don't know how divine technology works, <laughs> but it does. You mentioned that Jesus... Uh didn't want to suffer, that he asked that this cup be uh, passed for him, this chalice of suffering passed for him. Is it safe to say that, that, that Jesus Christ, God incarnate, was actually nervous? Of course. He was, he was scared. Of course. I think in, more than that, 
in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's his sweat became bloody tears. Yeah. No, uh, doctors say that that is a, a condition that sometimes happens in extreme stress. Uh, the sweat mingles with blood. What was so stressful? I don't know, but I kind of think that God allowed the greatest of all temptations there. Uh, I think the devil was allowed to show Jesus Christ all the people that would go to hell, even because, even despite the fact that Jesus died on the cross for them. One of the three temptations in the wilderness was uh, when the devil brought Jesus up to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, all these I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. Now, why was that a temptation? Even we could resist that temptation if, if all the world meant simply politics. Would you like to be the emperor of the world? No, thank you. If you're all wise. I think that temptation was uh, the world is people. And you came to save everybody. And if you do it my way, if you just worship me instead of your father for a minute, I'll open the gates of hell and let everybody free and you'll be successful. That was mm. a real temptation. Mm. So I think that God allowed the devil to tempt Jesus the same way in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look, Jesus, here are your children who you dearly, dearly love. And some of them are going to be in hell for all eternity. Despite what you're going to do. So why bother doing it? What a horrible temptation that would be. Yeah. Is it okay for you, for me, for anybody listening, and especially for any Catholic or any Christian, um, you know, because it says, be, be not afraid, over and over and over again, be not afraid, be not afraid. And I'll tell you why I'm asking this. Even though we believe in heaven, even though we believe that this is not the end-all be-all, even though we believe that there is eternal glory and joy, is it okay... Yeah for you and I to be afraid of death. Is it okay for you? I hope so, because I am. Yeah, yeah, but why is that? So am I. It, let, let me just say, and this has a, a large part to do with my homily that I'm about to give in, in, a, in two hours. So <clears throat> about a month or two ago, I was in Arizona, and I'm on retreat, right, in the middle of nowhere in the desert, in the middle of nowhere in the desert, staying with, uh, at this monastery that the, the, uh, with these nuns. They have a place out there. And... I hiked this mountain, and stupidly, 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 I went later in the day than I should have, and, you know, there's no trail. I mean, it's just, it just rocks and cacti, and um, long story short, long story short, uh, coming down the mountain, I'm in the pitch black, pitch black, pitch black. I had my cell phone, so I was able to use that flashlight, but anyway... I was so terrified. I was so terrified. And then when I, I couldn't see anything, and I'm really going to fast forward this story. I, was, I, I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to die because also the rattlesnakes, all this stuff. Then I get to, to the bottom, and, and uh, then I finally get to the bottom, and I find my, my Jeep, and I get lost for another two hours in the desert, like off, off-road, off, off-road. And I am terrified, 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 terrified that I'm going to die, terrified that I'm going to die. I eventually get back to the convent or the monastery, the priest, the residence there, and I go in the chapel, and I felt like the Lord was saying to me, 
why are you so afraid of death? Do you not believe? Mm. Do you not believe that that I'm I'm the Lord of the, the living and the dead? Do you not believe that that, that that there's more? And I and I started to feel like ashamed and embarrassed. So that's my mm-hmm. own personal story that like I believe in this and yet I was so scared. And yet at the same time, Jesus sweated blood. He was so nervous. So that's why I'm asking. God gave us our human nature. It's fallen, but the the thing it is, its essence, its ontology is 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 good. It's from God, including our feelings. They're natural insofar as they come from human nature and the knowledge of our own weaknesses, uh, fear is a good thing. Uh, The reason I'm afraid to die is I know I'm not a saint and I don't have much faith in my own faith and I'm afraid I'm going to collapse spiritually. I'm not afraid of God. God, God's good. I'm afraid of me. I'm not that good. So I think that's a natural fear to have. It's a realistic fear to have. We're we're simply stupid, shallow little kids. What do we know anyway? We got to trust not only that God is good, but that God loves us so much that He's going to give us special graces when when we need them the most, like He did to you on the mountain. You know, it's it's very interesting because He does so much beautiful stuff out of. Out of out of out of suffering, if we let him, and yet at the same time he hates. E- am I am I correct by saying he hates evil? Right? He he. I mean, of course. I, of course. I know there's several. Just different- as the, you know, your your surgeon hates those cancer cells that are killing you because he loves you. So God hates our sins. He doesn't hate sinners. He loves sinners. We're told to love sinners and hate sins. We should love sinners much more than we do, and we should hate sins much more than we do because we love sinners, including ourselves. So then why does he allow God, who's all good, all loving, an eternal place for people to be without him? Because love has to be free. Uh, Love has to be a free choice can't be compelled if he uh, cardinal newman has a sermon on this he says imagine god compelled people who didn't love him and didn't want to go to heaven to go to heaven they'd be sitting at a concert and everybody else would be in heaven and they'd be in hell because they want it to be a rock concert and it's an opera instead or they want it to be an opera and it's a rock concert instead if you want darkness instead of light you would be terrified by heaven in fact maybe heaven and hell are made the same thing what god is pure unselfish love and absolute total light. If you're terrified by those two things, if those two things are your enemy, then for you to go to heaven would be hell for you. God can't turn off his light any more than the sun can. That's what he is. Why does, it's just, I don't understand why some people would, would want darkness so much, would want you. I don't either. I don't either. That's, Sin is irrational. Here, every time we make a moral choice, we choose between good and evil. And good is ultimately what God wants, and evil is ultimately what God does not want. Okay, so so God is not the Godfather who makes us an offer we can't refuse. He's God the Father who makes us an offer we can refuse. So he has two hands. Here in my right hand, he says to us, is the secret of all joy. Will my will. Here in my left hand is the secret of all misery. Reject my will and do your will instead. Play God. Now, here's the choice between good and evil. What are you going to do this time? 
And when we can, when we confront a serious temptation, what's our reaction? <sighs> Gee, that's a tough one, God. Gee, let me try the left hand. Maybe it'll work this time. We're nuts. We're insane. That's 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 the that's my definition of original sin. Einstein said insanity consists in doing the same thing over and over again. It's never worked before. You think it's going to work the next time. It's not. I've held, I, doesn't work. I've heard that in the in the twelve step program, insanity is repeating the same step step. Uh, re, insanity is repeating the same steps, expecting different results. Our only hope is that God has an irrational love for his severely retarded children. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Um, wow. All right. So we're almost at, at 45 minutes. I thank you so much for your time. Um, when my brother passed, I was, of course, I was, I was, you know, at first, you know, angry at God and even the Blessed Virgin Mary because he died on her feast day. But then I got very, very angry at the devil, very angry at the devil. And I was angry at my brother too, you know. Um, but then I, I had this thing, you know, in praying that like I had to forgive my brother. And then I, but I was like really conflicted. Like, do I have to forgive the devil? And, you know, I asked somebody that and they kind of like laughed at me like, no. And, um, and that, which made me like, you know, I'm not, not that I'm like really in the demonology, but it just kind of made me think about the fall, right? The fall of man, but there was also the fall of the angels and of, of Satan and, and the, the angels. And like, I started to wonder, you know, like, can they ever repent? And I was told no. that they can't. I was told that they can't, but I, I wondered why. You know, like if there is free will, like if we can mm -hmm. repent, do you have any on why can the demons never repent to be back in God's good, good graces? A little light on that, only a little. They're not in time. They're not in the kind of time that we're in, uh, a gradual time. So that when they were created, God could have given them full knowledge. So they have no excuse of, of ignorance. Mm. And the good angels used that knowledge and, and chose the light and the bad ones chose to rebel and chose the darkness. I think Milton got it right. Uh, the devil's motive is better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Mm. I don't want to be number two. I want to be number one. And that's, that's a sin that I don't think any merely human being can ever commit that sin in the same way that the devil did with their whole heart. Uh, there's always some hope for human beings, no matter how bad. Even Adolf Hitler is extremely unlikely. He could have repented between the time he, he squeezed the trigger and the time he died. Maybe I've been a fool. Maybe there is a God. So I, I think we, we, we should uh, Our Lady uh, said that we should pray, uh, lead all men to heaven, especially those most in need. So we, we should not lose hope for anybody, no matter how wicked they are. I think it's extremely unlikely that hell is unpopulated. But uh, you can't ever say of any individual, that man is doomed to hell. Mm. Uh, for us, there's always, there's always a little bit of light in the darkness and a little bit of darkness in the light. 
Not so for the angels. They're all light or the demons. They're all darkness. Yeah, very interesting. And I guess nobody... So I, I, I don't think we should forgive demons. I don't think we should hate them either. Well, we certainly don't want to mess maybe with there's a way. Maybe there's even a way of forgiving God. Not that God made mistakes, but God, you made me suffer. I wish you had made things easier for me. I don't want to be that great a saint. Forgive me. I want to be just a little comfortable saint instead of a great saint who has to suffer a lot. Uh, and, and you disagree with me. And you thrust, thrust me into this suffering that I hated. And I was so frustrated with my own inability to cope with it. Uh, and, and I don't see why you did that at all. But well, forgive isn't the right word. Oh, no, we, we can't forgive God, but we can we can have such faith in him that we can say, I hate what you did to me, but I, I believe that it was for my good, even though I don't see it. Yeah, like my, my nephew, right? He, he was five at the time. He's 11 now. I mean, he's growing up without his dad, and some people would, some people have said, and I was one of them at one point, I mean, it still doesn't make sense, but like, you know, well, why would he have a kid grow up without his, you know what I mean? Like that doesn't, it's not fair to him. And of course, we don't, sorry? we don't have to have an answer to the question yeah. why. We don't have, have to have an answer to the question why. We have to have an answer to the question who. And the answer to that question is Jesus. Amen. On whose today we remember his death, today we remember him embracing the the cross, being scourged, uh, and and forgiving forgiving the very people who were murdering him as they murdered him, as they murdered him. He said, "Father, forgive them; they know not what they do." And Christ gives us that example. So <clears throat> I'm talking to you, listeners, and or you viewers right now. God could do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God can give us the grace to forgive. God can give us the grace to heal. God can heal us. God loves us more than we can ever possibly fathom or imagine. Uh, Dr. Kreef, he spoke about the book of Job several times. If you are unfamiliar with the book of Job, please, please read it. It's in the Old Testament. I'm going to put some show notes, uh, some different links. Uh, I'm going to put some information about Dr. Kreef uh, uh, that you can look there. But, but listen, be not afraid. If things don't make sense, like Dr. Kreef just said, it's not what, it's not why, but it's who. It, it, it's who. There's a, a saying, I, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And I think we could apply that to you know, our questions about why and about how. And the book of Job is, is ever beautiful. Dr. Crave, would you, anybody out there that's really struggling with this, angry at God, would any other resources that you would point them to? Yeah, another book by C.S. Lewis called A Grief Observed, the when his wife died of uh, a very painful cancer, quite young, uh, and he's wrestling with God. He's arguing with God. His, his faith is severely tested, like Job's, and it's a tough and honest faith, and so it comes back. Uh, and basically, he says, well, if God loves me, he must have allowed these tortures to happen. I don't understand it. But uh, either, either I need them or I don't. If I don't need them and he gave them to me, then he's not good. And if he's good, then I need them, even though I, I don't seem to. This doesn't seem to be doing me any good. 
But if God is God, it must somehow. So take a choice. You either you either trust your life preserver or you don't. And God's the only one. After after Jesus told taught this scandalous doctrine about the Eucharist, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. Most of his disciples went away. And he said to the 12 apostles, will you go away too? And Peter says, where should we go? You're the one who has the words of eternal life. There's only one life preserver. There's no alternative. Amen. Amen. What, what about for non-Christians, Jews, Muslims? Can they, does it not make sense? Because it, we have Christ, we have him suffering. Is it, uh, You know, that's a whole other topic for another podcast. We were signing off, so just a thought I had. Same, same God. The catechism, the catechism says Jews, Muslims, and Christians worship the same God because Muslims and Christians learned who God <laughs> was from the same people, the Jews. Mm. So it's not three different gods. It's three different relationships to God. Is Jesus at the heart of that relationship? For Christians, yes. For Jews and Muslims, no. But same God, same love, same hope of heaven. Yeah. All right, Dr. Kriff, anything that we could uh, plug for you that you have any, any books, talks, any, anything at all that we could plug for you right now? Uh, you've done some nice advertising on your show. Thank you very much. Uh, let me plug for you instead. Uh, if you make the same kind of wonderful mess uh, with other people that you made with me, I think uh, this is going to help people sincerely. They'll recognize your passion and your honesty, and they'll follow it, even though they're agnostics. Well, I mean, a, an honest unbeliever has to be at least honest. He has to follow the. Uh, he has to follow his nose. And if you smell truth somewhere, you can't ignore that. Just just follow the smell. Maybe eventually you'll come to a gourmet dinner. And maybe not, but what, what, what harm would it do if you didn't? Well, thank you. I, I don't know. I have many, many, many vices, but one, one gift I'm grateful for is, is honesty. <clears throat> and also just, you know, I'll be honest with, with, with being a mess. And um, so I'm, I'm very happy. Uh, I'm going to put, uh, you know, I'll put your website and some links to the, uh, certainly your book, Make, Making Sense of Suffering, in, in the show notes. Uh, but again, I, this means so much to me that you said yes, and on very short notice, and it meant so much to me that you remembered our conversation and our time together when you came uh, to St. Paul's, and um, I hope to, 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 that our paths cross again uh, very soon. I'm very grateful you blessed me, and I want to pray for you and for your entire family that you have a, a beautiful, sacred Twitterum, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and of course, Easter Sunday, and thank you for what your gift. You're so humble. It's it's insane. You're you're just like yeah, I'm stupid. We're you know like I, I I'm a sitter. Yeah, the supreme the supreme humility is somebody like you who's humble who says somebody else is humble. Okay, but I'm just saying that's I just love that about and I mean because people who don't know who who Dr. Crave is look him up. Trust me, or just check out his his biography and all the things that he's done. Check out all of his books and. Um, so, uh, so we've talked a lot about suffering and death. Uh, Dr. Kreef also has an entire book about heaven. Uh, so let me at least, what's the name of that book? Is it everything you want to know about heaven, but we're too afraid to ask? Two of them. Actually, one is called Heaven Longing, which is about hearts longing for heaven. And then everything you ever wanted to know of heaven is, well, kind of theological speculations about what heaven would consist of, the details. Uh, most of it is 
very speculative. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, I, I can't wait to get back into that. Whatever heaven is, whatever heaven is better than we can imagine. Amen. It's better than all the books. Amen. Are you still surfing, Dr. Crave? When I can find waves, yeah. The Jersey Shore is one of my favorite places. Hey, let me know. I've never there. surfed, but uh, a fear of sharks. <laughs> but, Get a boogie board. You can learn it in an hour. Okay. All right. All right. And how, are you still going to be uh, teaching at Boston College for, for some time? Uh, I hope so. That's up to God, but uh, I feel... All right. If anybody's up in the Boston area, anybody going to Boston College, please take Dr. Or one of Dr. Crave's courses. Well, Dr. Crave, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to get going to the Good Friday service. Uh, this was a blessing. Please pray for me, and I promise to pray for you, and thank you for doing this. You're very welcome. God bless you and your work. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah.